to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Good day, Lister, and welcome to the Big Red Couch. Today on the couch, we have, in distant Merry England, Craig. And here in New Zealand, jolly old New Zealand, is Ben. How's it going, Craig? Pretty good. I am recovering from a start of winter horrible cough, so it may be making the occasional guest appearance, depending on how editing goes. Just thought I'd... We will try and edit that. That tends to freak the um, recording out slightly. So, a little bit, yeah. Yep. Other than that, things are good. Yeah, sorry to hear you're, you're, you're unwell, but we will, we will endeavour to make this slightly shorter than some of our previous episodes. We've been rambling. Don't know what it is. I think it's the change of season that makes people melancholy and whimsical. Ah, uh, right. They get into fey moods. Sorry, I've been watching Dwarf Fortress Let's Plays. There's a guy who's doing, like... Dwarf Fortress, if you've not heard of, is just a mountain of procedural content in which you attempt to herd dwarves into making a civilization, not being eaten by monsters or drowning themselves trying to build the plans that you lay out. Drowning themselves in magma occasionally. It had, it had that whole net hack. we are using just mm. bog-standard ASCII character set thing going on? Yeah, it, and all of the, the tile sets and so forth, even the most complex ones I've seen, are basically looking into the Matrix. You need to have absorbed all this knowledge before you can make any sense of it at all. Okay. But there's a, there's a YouTuber called Krugsmash who does little tales and while simultaneously st- sticking to the boilerplate text that is, considering the amount of generation that goes in, some of it's very, very stock. Like, whenever they the dwarves get into a fey mood, as I mentioned, and make an artifact, they are, the, the work is always of the highest quality. And he always says the words, but it becomes a sort of relaxing, bedtime story kind of atmosphere. And he's also sort of illustrated with, like, hand-drawn, pencil-coloured um, art. It's sort of a nice sort of... Simple, not quite cartoony style. Okay. Yeah, it's fascinating and restful, and you get the story of the various... Some of them are just little little attempts to do specific things, like use water wheels or something like that. So it's kind of a tutorial thing. But it is way less effort than actually trying to navigate all of the bottomless, terrifying menus and pits. So, yeah. Okay. Pretty interesting. So... So what's our, our topic for today? Since we're already rambling, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we were sent. I'm not sure if I saw the full body of the message. The words Defarben by a spam bot um, styling itself as Dark Blow. And yeah, it's uh, one of those ones, guys. Yeah, as I understand it, it translates as The Colors. The Colors. I, I should point out that this was translated through the medium of Google Translate, not because I know any German, something that I'm sure is not going to cause any problems whatsoever the week after this one, when I have a work trip to a conference in Berlin. Indeed. Well, Google at least seems to indicate that it's not sort of a code word for white supremacists or something like that. So it's, that's a good start? It's always good. It's, it's something to avoid, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mostly from what I could see is people at- attempting to hock systems and or resources for teaching the German language to preschools. 
which would probably be above my level of, of language comprehension, as we've discussed in the past. But, you know, that seems relatively innocent. Certainly above my level of, of German um, comprehension and Russian comprehension. Certainly Latin comprehension. Probably French comprehension. Might be able to do it in English on at a pinch. <laughs> so, die Farben. Indeed, indeed. There, there's, there's lots of... There are lots of examples in role-playing games where colour schemes are used as hierarchies or categorizations and so forth. So and this is something that's thinking through. Well, not useful particularly for a um, a prompt per se, or not that I've that, not I've seen. You have circumstances where you're looking at like the the range of the chromatic dragons in D and D, and all of your very simple colours are apparent, except for yellow for some reason. I think that's cause, just because nobody wanted a urine dragon. <laughs> it's true. Actually, that's probably they do probably exist in someone's um, homebrew game. No, yeah, that somebody has to have done that. Yeah, yeah, Ugh. yeah. Um, right. Okay, that that went weird fast. Um, indeed, step away from that. But you know, there are other examples. Other examples I come across are things like the um, the success tiers in early edition Gamma World. Huh. With in what I suspect, if my maths was more more solid, is an attempt to replicate bell curves on a flat D one hundred system, or at least getting some sort of gradiated success. And you had various um, you would have a, you would have a statistic, and you could you could either roll on the 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 variously coloured line on the graph, uh, on you know, on the di- diagram graph. Not even sure what it is. For, it's a table. It's definitely a table. Um, and see what, what, what multiplier that you fell into, like through from one through five. But they could also be compared to some other stat and be raised and lowered. So, yeah, it had a lot of bells and whistles and belied the very pulpy, we don't, we are deliberately misunderstanding how radiation works um, setting. It does seem like a poor fit. Because my sort of, I've never played Gamma World or, or read any of the books, but yeah, I kind of got that. It's a fun, pulpy thing, and didn't realise there was a colour spectrum uh, requirement for making a skill roll. I think it was about on par with the elected complexity of the game systems and any sort of game ever at that stage when it was made. This is like early eighties. So. Was the style of the times? That is true. It was indeed, indeed. And it didn't. Nece- it doesn't necessarily make it more complex. It was basically pre-tuned maths. Okay. I, I often consider the possibility of some of one of my favourite bugbears, the Dragon Quest role-playing system, where you would get specific combat rolls if you got b- below fifteen and five percent of your adjusted base chance. That's the important part there, folks. You would yield a hit that bypassed armor, or a hit that bypassed armor and did something else even worse. But there's still a lot of mathematics, just from the sound of it. It's it's not bad mental exercise, and it did seem to mean that the game system was was found entertained by people good at maths, and me. <laughs> but you'd come up with little hacks that you know that what approximately 15% is, and you wouldn't actually bother doing a fine calculation unless it was on the borderline. Yep. If it was clearly below if it was below ten percent you knew it was good mm. for one. You just needed to figure out which yeah. one. Yeah. Well if it was below, if it, if it was if it was if your chance to hit was sixty and you hit six, 
there was no need to do a complex calculation. Mm. So yeah, it was, it was pretty pretty straightforward. But yeah, the idea of of trying to pre-calculate that or, or render that down to some degree. There was a chart in the book, um, though people insisted on various grounds that it was slightly incorrect. Not incorrect enough to change, but incorrect enough to bring up that it was incorrect in this way. Incorrect enough to bring all the nerds to the yard, as it were. Indeed. And their maths was better by far. <sighs> I'm desperately trying to figure out a way of working in the next line of the song hampered slightly by not being 100% on what it is, and by not being able to figure out a way of working it in. Yes. Yeah. I think we'll leave it there. That was that was enough. That was plenty. We, um, we, we've dropped some fresh rhymes. We really haven't. <laughs> leave me my illusions, alright? <laughs> and speaking of nothing that we just discussed, Paranoia Security Clearance. I, I was wondering when they were going to come up. Another colour gradient, yeah. Hmm... Power Rangers, but I don't think it particularly counts. No. And they they were sort of... I know the different Rangers have different stuff, but I don't think it, uh, I, I, I don't think it was sort of a... Each Ranger graduates through the colours. I, I don't think that was how it worked. Oh, right. They're, yeah, you could have mistaken that they were like a, a... Like a mall dojo and they had people at various different ranks. But no, I don't think that's how it worked. I know little about the Power Rangers though the I know that the original Super, Super Sentai series that they they were they were cobbled together from has been going for like 40 years or something and has put out a series for like every year of slightly different costumed acrobatics and some of the you know the people you know, just executing those stunts and so forth it's considering they had ridiculously adorned motorcycle helmets on pretty impressive <laughs> I have heard scary stories about the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers stunt crews. Just very, hmm. very hard people. <laughs> yes. I'm I'm wearing brightly coloured spandex and I do superhuman things. Pretty much, yeah. So, that was a uh, rundown of things that I was wondering about. Colours and rangers are like... like spectra of colours and their applications to role-playing games, just as a general kind of heading, but didn't really yield anything super useful. Yep. Yeah, there's nothing that really leaps out from that as a... I mean, other than paranoia, which has it baked in, and frankly, paranoia already exists. So... And the the colours are a a mnemonic device. It's not a... It's... And... The source of many a, a groan-worthy pun, which I think is actually pretty courted paranoia, but it is not—it's not the colours that are important themselves. It's not the context there. I mean, you could do something about somebody wanting to like beat one of every of the evil chromatic dragons because this bunch of evil. I don't know if there's a mythology behind that particularly. I know that their boss is Tiamat and is supposed to be all five of them. Is it five? Something like that. Um, She's a literal five-headed dragon. Mm. Thank you, Nightbow. Hmm. So, yeah, that didn't bring anything else. Do, do you have any other cultural touchstones regarding colours and so forth that would... Uh, not in the terms of, of colour hierarchy. I mean, I, I do have an idea for Daifarben mm-hmm. that go, goes off in a completely different direction. I'm just trying desperately to think of anything that can be milked from the, the colour hierarchy kind of thing. Oh... Okay, I have actually thought of something. Hmm? Uh, 
I cannot remember the name of the author, but it was a a short story called the the Z effect or the Xi effect, uh, spelled X I. Mm-hmm. It, which was, uh, shall we say, a bleak and depressing piece, because it basically had yeah, this, the the story starts and our focal characters are uh, are physicists um, who are sort of battling with some recalcitrant uh, radio astronomy equipment that is just refusing to pick up any signals above a certain wavelength, and they haven't been able to figure out why. And what becomes apparent, or what, yeah, what becomes discovered over the um, course of the story is that the universe is shrinking rapidly um, because of this not ever actually explained Z effect. And that the reason that the radio astronomy gear is not picking up the, these wavelengths is that the universe is too small for them to exist. And this starts to become very apparent when those longer wavelengths that don't uh, are too big to actually interact with our universe anymore start intersecting the color spectrum and colors start start not being there right and yeah that's that's feasible if you're going from radio down yeah the radio station stopped stopped working and then suddenly red just didn't get the red spectrum started to fade and yeah you you couldn't do it from top uh, bottom up because the universe would just wink out immediately. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and I think it, the the first visible effect would be you know atoms not working properly. I suspect. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I I don't know how you do a game about that other than maybe a game of our last best hope. That you are the people who are attempting to reinflate the universe. Not sure how you do it, but good luck to you, son. Yeah. That's also bringing up the interesting thing of I wonder what the I wonder what the largest detectable wavelength is. Well, I guess that depends on how big your antenna is. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, because eventually, you know Okay. We're attempting to measure wavelength with an antenna slightly larger than the universe. How how did you don't yeah. ask. <laughs> yeah, how did we do it? Very carefully. Yeah, there was a, a V source thing about temperature, which is what reminded me. Um, when they were trying to, they were talking about sort of, yeah, we know about absolute zero, lowest possible temperature, but what's the highest possible temperature, which kind of got onto this whole thing of objects that experience temperature, as we call it, emit some form of radiation. Hmm. There are bits of that radiation that intersect the, that are in the, um, the visual spectrum, which is why things glow red hot, etc. And it's basically, if you keep heating things up enough, you'll get an object that's emitting gamma radiation. That's quite bad. Yes, yes it but is. Eventually, if you heat th- something up to some ridiculous amount, you get radiation that is of a wavelength that is at the Planck length. If you heat it up any more Mm. than that, we don't know what happens, because it's emitting radiation that is smaller than the lowest resolution of the universe. Yeah, that would be difficult. Indeed. It's sort of one of those, and what happens then? We have no idea. We we got nothing. Well, it could could be happening now, and we'd have no idea. Indeed. That's the... Though if you were close enough, you probably did. Well, it depends on the intensity. Of yeah, it's emitting some and very high energy it, radiation at that point, but yeah. 
might well the thing is it might be too high to actually inter- the energy yes i suppose the yes the the individual packets of energy would have to be extremely high vol not volume the the amplitude would have to be insane because the, otherwise they wouldn't be at that wavelength mm. uh, yeah but then again would it interact with anything that is the other thing yeah maybe yeah, maybe, maybe it just doesn't interact <laughs> with anything anymore maybe that's that's the that is maybe that's the memory leak in the universe it's like yeah, stuff is escaping on those sorts of mm. invisible, he says, understanding that much of the universe is already invisible. <laughs> yeah, it, it came that way, yeah. We didn't really have to do anything yeah, to achieve yeah. that. Hmm, um, cool. Okay, yeah, that would be um, gloomy and, you know, yeah. Gloomy and depressing. Mm-hmm. So for something only slightly less gloomy and depressing... Mm-hmm. My, sh- should I do my one for for the colours? Go for it. Okay, so what the f- what it struck me as is basically the when I, when I can't come up with an idea, my standard one is okay. Can I come up with a situation where somebody might say that? So why would somebody say the colours in a very dramatic way? And what it put me in mind of is somebody just saying it in sort of shell shocked, thousand yard stare, sort of. Apocalypse Now, the horror, the horror kind of territory, except it's the colours. Fair enough. Which made me think of movies where movies, and I guess to an extent, yeah, to to an extent, um, other visual media, where the use of colour in a situation where there normally isn't any, so something that's coloured in a black and white film, or something that's coloured in in an otherwise black and white comic is used, you know, in the case of, I think, the the Sin City comics, there's only a very few splashes of colour, mm-hmm. and they're basically used to highlight, you know, in, in That Yellow Bastard, it highlights That Yellow Bastard. There's one of them that has a character in a red dress, mm-hmm. who is kind of the femme fatale that runs the, you know, the, the plot runs around. I think it might have been the femme fatale from... Was it the big kill? Or? Could be. I can't remember yeah. which one it was. I just remember the artwork. I, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out if that was done first by Frank Miller, almost certainly not, or Steven Spielberg. And if we can get the fight over it, which Steven Spielberg one are you thinking of? Schindler's List, which I never saw, but fair enough. There's a there's a there's a red coat mm. child that's used like the is the only specifically only piece of color. Okay, so yeah, and in The Wizard of Oz. The introduction of colour is used to indicate we are now in Fantasyland. We be trippin'. Yeah, we be trippin'. In the movie Pleasantville, um, it's used as sort of an indication of this is the introduction of progressive values into mm. 1950s Americana. Freedom from the stifling patriarchy. Indeed. Exactly. I haven't actually seen Pleasantville. I just remembered the trailer and read the Wikipedia review. So hmm. so I was sort of thinking about those and you know, colour effectively uses a signifier of you know, this is this is the thing that is changing, isn't that wonderful? And then you flip it around. Because hmm. from the point of view of somebody who's in a you know, in a universe that is black and white, and then they suddenly some see something that is in colour, that's going to be terrifying. It's going to be yeah, it's potentially not even a, and this is an out of context problem. This is, 
and the, the way I'd be doing it is I'd be playing this for just full-on Lovecraftian horror. This is the universe being wrong. Hmm. Okay. Um, you suck my battleship. Oh. That's okay. That's okay. And I, I will also raise um, a German Lovecraft film called Die Farbe, which is basically the color out of space. Oh, nice. In German and in black and white. I've only seen the trailer, but if they don't go full unpleasant fill when things start getting woogie, I don't know what's going to happen. But no, I... I Why would you even bother? Indeed. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and you know, that's... It's, it's, Good call on the reversal, and I've got a, I've got a, an unreversal on this, but c- carry on. I will also throw the recent Spider-Man movie trailer, because uh, my read on the trailer, and I'm going to try to do this in a non-spoilery way, um, the movie itself is animated. My take, just from the trailer, is that we've got Spider-Folks from different dimensions coming into a dimension that dimension is a cartoon hmm. I get the impression that not everybody is from a cartoon dimension certainly not everybody is from a dimension in which spider ham exists right okay I, yes I think I'd seen a picture but I was not sure if that was some sort of promotional thing or spider ham was actually in it Fair uh, it looks like spider ham is actually in it I, I know virtually nothing about Spider-Ham other than, hey, it's a cartoon pig in a Spider-Man costume, now read on. It's also got Spider-Gwen, so that's always nice. Hmm, I'm not familiar with the full scope, but I did see the, 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 the exchange between Peter Parker being a late 20-something, not-quite-derelict, talking to Michael Morales, who is a teenaged guy, going, who is this jerk? <laughs> It's like, mm. um, yeah, and and again, from the point of view of, presumably from from the point of view of somebody from a non-cartoony universe stepping into a cartoony universe, well, if cartoons exist in your world, you've at least got a basis for reference. You might think you're going mad, but you've got a basis for reference. If you did it the other mm. way around, if you had the circumstance of you're in a cartoony universe, that's how it works, and then somebody who isn't animated, who has pores and skin tone and texture yeah it would look it would look like one of those realistic homer simpson cgi things or something like that it would be yeah it would be rugos and eldritch in a way that you know would be pretty yeah, upsetting it, it would be it would be horrifying to look at hmm. the way i see it you've you've either got two games sort of two directions you can go in the game there you either go with this introduction of the colors being, this is actually the threat. You go full Lovecraft, you use a system that can deal with, this is the character becoming increasingly unhinged. So a sanity derangement mechanic of some sort. There are plenty of them out there. Unknown armies, Trail of Cthulhu, the various Call of Cthulhu things come unerringly to mind. Uh, you could probably have a lot of fun with a fate-based system and just loading people up with pain-in-the-ass aspects. And yeah, just go with go with the full on, the the full on horror that the, this is actually a threat. These things do not mean you well, and their very nature will damage you. Or you go with the something has caused the the dimensions to merge. The other guys find you just as weird, 
and you're attempting to work together to solve this problem, even though looking at each other will cause you harm. Ooh, that is... Huh, I can't... Ooh, that... Yeah, that's... Um, mediating that via a rule system sounds challenging, at very least. I mean, like, a lot of people issue you actually having functional languages in, in their games because they don't want the trouble of talking to make it more hard to talk to NPCs than it is or the PCs to talk to one another. Yep, I, I have made that mistake in games before and paid for it dearly. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Wasn't. Mm, so that's... Uh, it's interesting and eerie, but I'm not sure how you would... How you would do mm. it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I'm... Um, yeah. Thinking about the the, uh, the if you if you're strictly talking about color, you could effectively have a circumstance where people in this world are simply monochromatic. They 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 are color blind, and suddenly being able to see things with different colors would be unsettling. But you know, if they were fundamentally the same object with a tint, you wouldn't. You may not even like if it was if it was this was universal. You may not even have the words, and you know chatting previously about languages and how they have different you know they obviously have different words and languages for for the different colors but some of them also have extra words or color definitions between two to two different types of green or there are some languages that don't distinguish between green and blue mm. so that would be again that would be super hard to visualize it is probably easier to conceptualize the idea of some that something is not only got a color but also has this extra information laid on top of it which basically means bad wrong you go mad now it it's a it's a threat obvious it's it's, it's pretty obvious that and you you may also want yeah and also you make sure that the subtext isn't that you know things that are, are, are different from us are bad and wrong maybe go something slightly more progressive than that yeah, it is it is a territory you maybe want to avoid yes the yeah xena yeah xenophobia the rpg is not something we really need in the gaming market at this point in time we we don't need any more for that way i can think of at least two how many have you got eh well, any anything that that classifies groups into PC and XP races. Okay, two plus an entire genre. Okay, right. Cool. Yep. So yeah, I can see that if to do to do a horror a horror scenario where, especially if the this extra, I'm trying to think of the word for it, like color theory, or the, this extra information is you know reveals the a contamination or something that's going on. It's like, yeah, that's a that's a thing. Any specific setting or something you come up with, something to arm the players with like a hope because <laughs> you know. Well, I think in terms of setup, it should be something that is difficult to if you're going with the flat out horror approach. It should be something that is is difficult. The color should be something that's difficult to detect, unless you're looking for it. So I'd, I would probably do it as your very classic. I'm just going to keep going back to Call of Cthulhu and related works because it's a model that just works really well for this idea. So you go with somebody receiving a you know, sort of 
summons to an asylum where their beloved uh, professor is locked away in the maximum lunacy uh, ward, muttering about the colours in German for no readily explainable reason. And over the course of the inevitable investigation, they stumble onto whatever. Hmm. Uh, that's that's um, the obvious one for that. For the if, if you're going to do if you're going to do a twist slash reveal thing, maybe these are colours that you can see regardless of a light source. Oh, um, and the co- the the co- the colour information is regardless of whether you actually have. So 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 the the professor in question is colourblind. He's one of the one of the many ranges of you know of, of um, genetic impairments. It means you can't see colours in the same spectrum. So when he starts seeing colours. You know, he thinks, "Wunderbar! I, I, my, my sight has returned. Maybe I can find out how and help the world." And then find out, finds out that no, something is seriously wrong. And in the process, he may have, you know, contributed to what he was going on. Ah. The idea that if you're running it, if you're running it in, say, the asylum is like a really modern, clean. Everything is lit, possibly twenty-four hours a day, <laughs> but it's only it's like after after lights out when the pl- when the PCs would not normally be there that these you know you can see objects that are clearly they have color regardless of the ambient light and so you know and you could if you were doing a horror thing you could ratchet it up so it's like okay our friend is see claims to see colors in the dark and you know find and you know they realize oh yeah he's, he's colorblind what's he talking about well you know he shouldn't he didn't normally he didn't used to see reds mm. But now he's seeing the reds in the dark, and now we're in the asylum trying to figure this out. And now there's a power cut, and now it's like a fucking blacklight painting in here. Uh. Nice. <laughs> yeah. The things may be the same colour or a different colour, but yeah, if you're seeing things normally, or maybe you could just you know, get a UV light out, and you know, it makes it a bit more obvious, but yes. Yeah, things is that this, this, this creeping contagion is, is affecting things. And they don't know how, why, and they're trying to deal with that as it silently spreads in these big, like, well-lit halls of this medical institution, which is, you know, otherwise completely above board. And, you know, maybe there's a metaphor in there. Maybe that's a thing. Maybe you could, you could, you could ring a bit of extra nuance and context out of that. And then when they start noticing it at the diner across the street. Yeah. Maybe think hey, it's contained. We've figured out that you know that UV light keeps us back, or something like that. We we have we have we have we have sorted out. And then you start the the apocalyptic. I'm specifically thinking the mouth of badness kind of movie kind of thing. Yeah, where it starts to all to unravel. But yeah, you know, the um, yes, the waiter in the um, the coffee place across the street with the the piercing blue eyes, even when the mm. lights are out. Yeah, and the idea that the uh, that the information that that this thing has a color will cut through apparent darkness and so forth. That you know, normally when you wouldn't be able to receive the information, you are, and it's it's, it's informing you in that way that is not very subtle or kind. Mm. Nice. Yeah, I mean, doing it as a less creeping, insidious, wants to kill you horror, and more two sides who can't even look at each other without incurring some level of damage having to work together the system would be tricky you'd need to find a system that could cope with that 
Well, you need some sort of levels of consequences and so forth, because if you just, if you use the language thing of, oh, we just don't look at each other. That's boring. Well, it, it has yeah. no impact. It, is, it has no consequences as far as the game's concerned. So, okay, it's, it's colour, <laughs> but that's it. Mm. <laughs> there would need to be a something, and I'm not entirely sure what that something is. I mean, I kind of had the mental images of bits of the later seasons of the show Fringe with the, the, the two different worlds. Hmm, the, the tints and the, and the lens flare and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, that could be a... The, the indicator of where you are is a, is a sort of subtle visual thing. Yeah. It probably means that... This would probably work better in a LARP situation, to be honest. Yeah? I, I don't know if you want to do something like strapping people with those uh, work lamps that go on, 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 a, on a headband, so... In, with incredibly bright lights so no one can look directly at one another. That would be a bit weird. But the idea that you actually mime it out is like, okay, we can't, we need to do something, but we can't look while we're doing something. Making the performance of that part of it. That would probably, a LARP head would probably be able to um, tell us more about that. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. If you could sync things up so that you've got the very bright headlamps in a couple of different colours... And tinted glasses. Maybe. Yeah, I, I feel that might yeah. be the approach, because then you can set it up so that you are not bothered by the til- tilted, tinted headlamps of your own team, but you are by the other guys. But to be honest, if I was doing that, I'd want to have a really shit-hot scenario running, because otherwise that's going to be a real pain in the ass. Yes. Interesting, but yes, very, very much a thing. Cool. Yeah, no, actually, yeah, that's pretty intriguing. Shall I roll out the um, the obverse thing that I came? Please across, do. Uh, yes. So f- you're you're flipping the flipping the script on my flipping of the script. Okay. Indeed. Cool. Or at least, well, we're just turning it back over again. Basically, I think it's like it's as dramatic as that. Pretty much the, and in fact, it does it does crash into your the original the Zy effect. Oh yep. Basically, something has been stealing color out of the world. Everything is going white as you're desaturating going into this black and white state. The players, for whatever reason, each hold an article of a different primary or secondary colour, which is intrinsically that colour. I mean, a red or green apple, though I think you probably want something that lasts a bit longer than mm. And each of them basically is the guardian of this, this thing. And whatever has taken the colour out of the world basically runs the show now. And because they have these objects, and because they have the, the, the ties to why this object has retained its colour, and there's a, there's a reason and significance behind that, they can channel that with abilities to do various things based on the colour. I haven't got any specific ideas yet. The only problem is that when they use these abilities, it leaves the colour behind. Ah. And makes it a little bit obvious of what's going on. So yeah, it's like the reverse thing of they're running a resistance against these these whatever it is that's desaturated the world, which may not even be a physical thing, but it is controlling the the actions and the institutions that are that run things fundamentally. It's, they're like they'd be like you know the agents or the aliens from They Live. They're basically behind everything and running everything. But you know this 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 world is is normal. Otherwise, and that the these characters, which is not they're 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 enlightened, but in a you know chromatic way, in chromand, 
No, that sounds like the worst cyberpunk movie ever. Also, I, I just want to rule out the use of the, the descriptive term coloured to describe them. That one's just right out. Yes. Well, it would be culturally of the moment if they were actually people of colour. <laughs> yeah. That's it, it, not a too big a, a intellectual jump there. So the idea that, you know, expressing, you know, the, 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 the value and difference and hue of your person is A, powerful and empowering, but also dangerous, and it is what you are. It is the, the thing that marks you apart from this blair world. I don't know. I, it's probably not my place to, um, to, to run with it, because I'm very Caucasian, but it's got some potential there, I feel. Uh, okay. Yeah, and I think it would be a standard, you know, underdog resistance, a thematically normal underdog resistance, sticking it to the man and bringing colour back into the world, kind of escalating plot of, yeah, action adventure and... Yeah. I, I am imagining a... I, I am imagining some kind... Some kind of quite literally grey-suited official, saying, there is no evidence that this was done by chromatic terrorists. Cut to shot of building that is on fire and is literally looks like it's been attacked with multiple paint guns. Like, really? That's what you're going with? <laughs> no evidence at all. It looks like a rainbow sicked on it! No evidence <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah, and, and maybe it's it's at the point in the the in the invasion where colors were definitely a thing. There was references to them, but the pe- people are confused that they you know that this is a disjunction between you know things are written down or you know stuff in kindergartens for the different colors with all shades of gray. But uh, you did you did just inspire me to come up with a name for this particular joint. Mm-hmm. Hue and cry. Why are you like this? <laughs> It's pretty good, I think. It's a kind of a pun, but it's not a really shitty pun. But it takes that extra little longer to get it, and then, then yeah, there's the pun. Yeah. First there's the hue, then there's the crying. Yep. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, I'm now desperately trying to come up with acronyms based on RGB, CMYK, and uh, uh, CSV, but that's just me. If you wanted to satirize it more, you would have different factions using different colour theory um, names, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, that's dreadful. Yeah, those additive... <laughs> those additive bums, they don't know what they're doing. They're, 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 they're basically working with the man. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Goddamn pigmenters. Uh. Yeah, that could possibly undermine any, you know, useful social justice metaphors <laughs> and start <laughs> leading towards the Monty Python-esque side of things. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it does provide a, a useful, if annoying, metaphor for um, the the tendency of groups to tear themselves apart over mi- minute ideological differences. It's true. It may not be the thing you want to focus on. That is true. We don't necessarily want to uh, provide a colour-based simulation of certain currently existing political parties. Hypothetically. And on that note... On that note... I, I do like the idea of hue and cry, even though it is a dreadful, dreadful... Just... <sighs> I, I, I'm quite impressed that we have swung from Lovecraftian nudniks being terrified of colours to 
bickering social justice activists wielding colours. That's quite that's quite an arc. I mean, when I said you sunk my battle show, I didn't realise they'd kind of collided and merged. Indeed, <laughs> colourfully. Yeah, that, yes, that's a. Uh, yeah. And we might as well bring up Dazzle Camo, just as random, as random happenstance. Considering the most of the pictures of the World War, I think it was World War Two, but it might have also been World War One. Battleships being painted in abstract shapes and so forth are all now black and white, so we don't precisely know what they look like. Mm. <laughs> that is true. Mm. So yeah, no, those are fun. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure what the system for for hue and cry would be. I'm I'm feeling something pretty fluffy. Yeah. A lot of uh, something that would involve putting forward challenges and obstacles and so forth based on the history of the person and the object and so forth. The the developing relationships between people and so forth. Mm. Not sure if if full on apocalypse world would count, but yeah. Hmm. That that deserves closer investigation. Yeah, something in the apocalypse worldy line might be the way, might be a good place to start. Well, something very conversational. We we we're not actually looking at you know yeah the 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 most robustly stupid way to do it would be basically to have you know black block people running around with prismatic spray spells. That is correct. You can still do that if you want, but it would be dumb as balls. Yeah, yeah, it would. Okay, so shall we go on to a couple of audience comments? Yes, I think I think we've kicked the colours around a lot. Kick the paint out of that one. Yep. Though remembering the colour out of space, I'd actually forgotten about the colour out of space, so nicely done. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have something from from Tim Soholt commenting on... Oh, technically commenting on the previous episode, though in fact commenting on a typo in the show notes of the previous episode. I'm amazed anyone reads those, but... Go, I, I am too, but apparently, apparently Tim is the one. Yeah, referring to the the movie Death Wish, which was apparently released in the year... 194. And Tim writes, This would be from the timeline where Charles Bronston fell through a time gate and became the greatest actor of Emperor Severus's reign, no? Ben had had then replied with, Thank you for the typo spotting, though I could definitely get behind a time-travelling Charles Bronson caper. Do you believe in Jupiter? You're gonna meet him. Yeah. And, you know, Charles Bronson does look about 2,000 years old sometimes. So. It's entirely possible this is the second time round for him. Yeah, it's not. It's not. He's got a kind of worn expression. Yeah, yeah that, that was useful. Yes, Tim had also made the comment that uh, the description of the idea of chronocops makes it sound like it might be a riff on a Heinlein story. Tim initially quotes "All you zombies," but uh, actually meant "by his bootstraps." Hmm. Which, come to think of it, I haven't actually read, I don't think. So if we just pause for a second, because I know which one All New Zombies is. I may have, may or may not have read either of them, but I don't recall this time. Okay, yeah, so yeah. By his bootstraps is somebody interfering with his own history deliberately. Hmm. All You Zombies is somebody who turns out to be their own parents. Awkward. Very awkward. Very Heinlein. Very Heinlein. Indeed. 
Which does explain the, the comment by Tim of All You Zombies is a considerably weirder take on creating your own history. I could see Alan Moore being uh, inspired by it, but I'm not sure 2000 AD would have run the result. Yeah. Cool. And thank you, Tim, for those... For, yes, the, spotting the, the typo, that was one of the, uh, one of the better ones. And yes, I could get behind Charles Bronson in a toga with a the most powerful handgun known to man. <laughs> was that Dirty Harry? I can't remember. I cannot remember either. I just keep getting distracted by the bit in The Simpsons where they suggested a uh, brief Charles Bronson's appearance on uh, the Andy Griffith show. It was weird. He was going down to Emmett's fix-it shop to fix Emmett. He just walks out holding the gun up with this uh, tune playing in the background. Slightly creepy. I could have sworn that was a Bill Hicks thing, but or maybe a, a Bill Hicks thing that uh, Dennis Leary stole. But mm. okay. <laughs> that was in the wow, that was in the Simpsons. Thanks. <laughs> ah, yes, and Taz has punted for the TPK game. What was that? If total party ah right the, the that's the re- total party kill repeat game. Yep, he's going to drop a shameless plug for his time looping RPG Rewind. Rewind uses a set of index note cards to build a branching time map. For the Rewind event, go with the death of the last team member to revive the whole party. The advantage of this of the time map is you can always fast forward to the point where you want to branch out from there. That's pretty cool. I am yeah. actually going to pick up a copy of the sucker because that. That's a mm. really interesting approach. One of those ways of solving, rather than doing a like attack map with your various timelines, zooming through it with the Donnie Darko tube of um, light thing. Yeah, that would make, make a bit more sense. Uh, uh, yes, the weird jellyfish tube going out in front of them. Or am I crossing that over mm. with the abyss? It looked very okay. similar. But it was slightly more. It probably took slightly fewer thousands of computer hours. Cool. Um, that rewind, and it's a freebie on a on a drive through RPG. We will chuck a link in the show notes for that one. Show notes. Sorry, that's uh, for anybody who listens to the Daily Zeitgeist. I, I do not listen to the Daily Zeitgeist. Sorry. If you want to hear all about horrifying political stuff going on on a daily basis, I thoroughly I'm, recommend it. I'm getting enough horrifying political stuff at the moment without even trying. I mean, one of the better ones was somebody stitching together a Pacific Rim Jager startup sequence and syncing it in with Theresa May attempting to dance at a Tory party conference. Uh, I can see that in my mind's eye, and I kind of feel a bit sympathetic as well. Yeah. Cool. I'll have to check that out. Um, no, don't for plugs for other podcasts, if you really want to ride the toboggan of daily updates, it's hosted by Jack O'Brien, one of the co-founders of the Cracked.com website, and Miles Gray, who has formerly worked in politics and is now a comedian. Seems to be a career arc, which happens quite a lot, and they get a, another comedian on to discuss things going on in the world. And it includes, you know, rap beefs and Instagram meltdowns and you know, what's going on in the tabloids, because they've spotted certain things going on in the tabloids that still affect people's uh, perception. Yeah. I thoroughly recommend it, but it can, you yeah, might want to fall back to the weekly roundups rather than, you know, sticking your mouth on the fire hose of 
endless disappointment that is the world. No, I, I am woefully behind on podcasts at the moment, simply because I cannot listen to them at work. They're making you think the fiends. A little bit, yeah. When it was just digitized stuff or georeferenced stuff, I could listen to podcasts. But coding, I cannot listen to people recognizably talking while I'm coding. Right. You just need banging high RPM EDM music and so forth. I, I've been going with weird ambient stuff. So okay. the first track of Brian Eno's Music for Airports on Endless Repeat. I'm going to ask how that's different from the rest of it, but um, I, I, I prefer the sound <laughs> loops. I, right. I had been listening for a while to some of the disintegration loop um, recordings, which were when a composer, a composer was transferring some stuff that was on very old magnetic tape to digital and realized that because of the age of the tape, it was flaking. And so basically would set up these loops of tape and just record the sound over and over as the tape disintegrated. So the sound gets more and more destroyed as time goes by. Okay. I, I For archival purposes, I assume they got the, the cleanest copy they could, and then, you know, maybe reinforced it with some subtle algorithm before destroying the... Um, the, the I, I hope so too, but, yeah. Uh, anyway, so, yeah. That reminds me, so this will be the last ramble, I suspect, about the uh, person who composed pieces of music out of the clicks and scratches that failing hard drives make. It's now quaint and old-fashioned, but still puts, you know, if you've, if you've dealt with technology, we'll put your teeth on edge almost instantly. So it's not exactly relaxing. Huh. Interesting. I, I know there's a Johan Johansson track that uses the sounds made by a uh, IBM 1601 uh, computer because that produced noises that you could pick up with a radio. Yep, I believe that. All right. Well, um, we seem to have rambled slightly less than the last couple of episodes, and I think we'll leave it there. We've covered some ground. We have, from Lovecraftian horror to hue and cry, chromatic resistance. Hmm. Yes, that's an interesting one. And yes, I hope it was a colourful conversation. Nice. Nice. Yes, that will... Well, certainly some colourful language, I'm sure. <laughs> saturating right. the content I should stop now shouldn't I that has other connotations that doesn't quite yeah accurate or not they're not I don't think they're as positive as they might be I'm trying to work in pan, a Pantone reference but it's just not happening indeed what is our next prompt for the love of god <laughs> somebody <laughs> stop me <laughs> somebody stop me huh sure all right, so um, what is our next prompt, Ben? Well, according to this, it is The Haunted World of El Superbisto. Which I believe is a movie, though I'm oh, pretty good. confident I haven't seen it. I, I'm entirely confident I haven't seen Okay, so research has to be done for this one. Indeed. Some possibly terrifying research. And we will see you next time in The Haunted World of El Superbisto. Hopefully... We survived the coming color wars. Nope, that's a terrible phrase. I'm going to cut that. <laughs> I, I think you should leave that whole bit in, but that's just me. We will see you next time in the haunted world of El Superbisto. Whatever that means. Farewell, citizen. And good night. Want to hear more of our shenanigans? 
Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time.